You're listening to Transforming Insight, the podcast for anyone who has the ambition to transform their insight team and create an insight-driven organization. Your host is James Witcherly, Chief Executive of the Insight Management Academy and the author of the book Transforming Insight, The 42 Secrets of Successful Corporate Insight Teams. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Transforming Insight podcast. This one's called Transforming Insight at Deliveroo. And it's one of our special extended episodes when I talk to senior corporate insight leaders who have worked with the Insight Management Academy, been an active participant in our insight forums and helped to define insight management best practice. Today, my guest is Hayley Ward, former insight leader at UK retailer Marks & Spencer and now Director of User Research and Insight at Deliveroo. Hi, Hayley. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Hi, James. Thanks so much for inviting me. Not at all. So uh, I know you well from both your role at Deliveroo and previously when you headed insights at Marks & Spencer. But would you like to tell our listeners a bit about the job that you do and how you came to be doing it? Yep, sure. So I'm actually coming up to my two-year anniversary at Deliveroo, which we call Rooversaries. And yeah, I run the research and insights function. So prior to that, as you said, I work around the insight function at M&S and I was also at Telefonica before that. So yeah, I've been very fortunate to work in some different industries and for some really sort of big iconic brands. So why Deliveroo? And so the opportunity at Deliveroo really appealed to me in terms of M&S is very sort of traditional, you know, over a hundred years old and, you know, very kind of clear in terms of consumer minds. I think the opportunity at Deliveroo was just the fact that it was, you know, such a young company. We're only just over 10 years old. The category in itself is so new, which is really exciting because we're kind of defining and changing how consumers are shopping. And the other sort of couple of elements that really appealed to me was just the complexity. So I probably hadn't realized how complex it was until I joined, actually. I thought, this is going to be so simple. It's just food from A to B. Whereas at M&S, obviously, you had lots of different categories from kidswear, homeware, you know, beauty, food. Uh, But actually, when I joined, I kind of realized, actually, you've got the three sides of the marketplace. So actually, our customers are the end consumer, but also our restaurant and grocer partners and also our riders as well. So it's really important that we actually understand each of those elements, because obviously without our riders, customers can get their food and without actually having the right partners on our platform, then, you know, consumers are not going to, are not going to order from us. And so the complexity definitely appealed. And the last thing is probably just how global we are. I think a lot of people assume that we're a UK company and we are founded in the UK, but actually we operate across 10 different markets. And so I've been very Lucky in my role to be able to do a lot of travel. I'm going to Hong Kong shortly, spent quite a bit of time in UAE, Paris, and also Italy. So I think that's really great to experience different cultures and understand different landscapes. That sounds like a fabulous job. So having made everybody thoroughly jealous of the role that you did, to what extent did you appreciate the role that Insight actually played in the business before you you joined? And was there a particular challenge that was given to you on day one, or indeed perhaps and it was behind the recruitment conversations to start with, or was it a case of joining the organization and then deciding 
where you wanted to take things? There was definitely a level of honesty before before I joined, which was great. So I was kind of fully aware of what I was coming into. So I was kind of fully aware of that. And I guess that was part of the, yeah, part of why I was actually really excited about the challenge, because I had the ability to kind of transform transform the team. I think because uh, Deliveroo is such a young company and it, hit, it was very kind of tech product and experimentation focused, which of course it had to be in order to grow. What probably was lacking slightly was this kind of more rounded human understanding. And therefore, obviously, that's the kind of job of my team. So I guess my remit was to kind of come in and to help sort of shift the culture at Deliveroo, moving away from being very focused on metrics and yeah, analyzing lots and lots of like data to actually thinking about how can we get more of that human understanding and um, think about actually how do we sort of bring a richer, um, slightly more qualitative understanding um, while still making sure that actually we it was underpinned with the robustness of kind of quantitative analysis as well. So it was a really kind of exciting opportunity to, I guess, move with Deliveroo in its kind of next phase of growth and journey. It surprises me when I hear it, but I don't know why it does, because I've heard it from quite a lot of startups and, and smaller organizations that a lot of the the brands that we associate with great growth and being very much of the moment are not necessarily quite as customer-orientated in origin as you might think, that very often, yes, there's a great customer concept there, but it's actually a really smart piece of tech that has enabled the business to scale as quickly as it has. And it's not really until there's more competition in the market and the business gets onto that sort of next phase of development that they there's suddenly an appreciation that a, a rather more structured, rounded approach to customer and market insights needed. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And if you think about the co- what happened in COVID in the category and just the huge acceleration and boom of, you know, fast delivery and, you know, some, it, it's a, a lot of people actually, this was their magic moment, wasn't it? Being able to get some restaurant food delivered as everything else was closed, but it really opened up the category. So actually the business was just focused on how the hell do we keep up with demand, let alone to your point, thinking a bit more strategically about how we're we making sure that actually we're, yeah, we're setting ourselves up for growth in the future. So yeah, really interesting. Definitely agree with that point. So thinking about your plans for insight transformation, congratulations on your reversary. What are the milestones that you sort of identified along the way for where you want to get the insight team and the insight capability to, or perhaps the rest of the organization in terms of its use of insight as well? When I joined, I think there were three people in the team. So one of the first things was recruitment and really thinking about the type of skill sets that's needed to come in and to help drive this I guess, change in terms of helping people think more broadly about about customers. And so I think very much sort of recruited some really great people who are a bit more mixed methodology in terms of rounded as opposed to sort of such, such specialists. And I think it was really important that these people were actually able to have, feel passionate about driving change and actually able to kind of influence a, a very relatively senior senior level. So I think I definitely spent a lot of time thinking about what that's going to look like in terms of in terms of the team. I think it was also about certainly in the first year looking at our capability. I think previously the team had been very focused on carrying out primary research to answer every kind of query from stakeholders. 
instead of kind of building a foundational knowledge of actually how consumers were thinking and feeling and almost tapping into that along with secondary sources. So very much looking at some of our big programs like brand tracking, which we put out to tender with a new agency immediately. And that's been like a huge success. We've also spent a lot of time on our customer experience program that we call Roo Voices. And again, a lot of investment in terms of simplifying that. I think when I came in, we had about six different NPS scores flying around and we kind of called them RMPS, IMPS, JMPS. And, you know, people didn't really understand what any That's of them meant. Of inflation, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So I think there was a degree of kind of really simplifying what we did and then making sure that actually we had enough people our side to actually extract the insight out of the program and that actually we brought a human element. So prior to joining, it was very focused on kind of tracking the metrics instead of using all of the rich verbatim and the, and the text analytics as well. So spent kind of a lot of time, what I'd call sort of fixing the basics, bringing in also some secondary sources. So we work with agencies like Foresight Factory that do global trends. You know, we look at Kokoro, Mood of the Nation, and making sure that actually we're kind of, I guess, operating slightly more consultative as opposed to sort of technical research kind of experts in terms of um, project delivery. Managing that balance is always difficult, isn't it? Sometimes you can become victims of your own success, frankly, can't you? Particularly if you're growing the Insight team, you're trying to get in front of more stakeholders, you're building the Insight brand, if you like, internally. And then you find you're getting more requests for support. And so you get dragged back down into rather more functional work and you can't get the headspace in order to do the big strategic proactive pieces. Whereabouts are you on that sort of, I don't know if it's an evolution or a curve or a, a cycle <laughs> at the moment? Yeah. And it's funny actually, because we just had to go again on that. The really exciting thing about working at Deliveroo is that suddenly new priorities pop up like that. <laughs> You're like, oh, this requires, you know, the exec are asking you for, you know, a big investment. And I think the main thing for me in that is always just making sure that you kind of stop and take a bit of a breather and then you regroup and say, okay, what are the things that really matter? What do we need to focus on? Kind of doing a shortlist, making sure that you've allocated people against that and then kind of getting alignment at that exec level that they're happy, which actually gives sort of team members the opportunity to push back. And actually, it's quite powerful to have that kind of one pager that they could then say, well, actually you know, Carlo, who's our, you know, MD of Europe has signed off that these are the only things that we should be working on. Therefore, you know, I can say no. And it's interesting because even though we had, we used we run OKRs. So every quarter we'd have our objectives and key results, but that in itself didn't seem to be enough to kind of equip team members to say no. Whereas this sort of very succinct one pager worked really well. But I think you make such a good point. It's really easy. I think it, research to get into the treadmill and just, you know, producing things and then moving on to the next thing. And I think actually we just had an example this week of where, you know, we we didn't communicate one of our reports as, as well as we could. And we missed off a couple of senior stakeholders who kind of gossip via a different route who were like, what's this? Why wasn't I made aware of it? And I think, again, sometimes we forget that's almost as equally important as doing the research. At the end of the day, if we produce great quality research, but nobody sees it, or very few people see it, and we don't do a good enough job of embedding it, really the whole thing is pointless. 
Yes, if you've got that, we talk a lot about purpose, don't we, and the, the mission that insight teams are on. But if you really have founded the team on the principles that you're there to identify value for the organization and drive change within it, and there's an appreciation that the second part of that is at least as much to do with how things are communicated and how you influence around the organization and maintain those relationships as it is, frankly, it pains me to say it, but frankly, on the fundamental quality of the the work itself, then it doesn't go anywhere, does it? No, no matter how great the creativity of the, the research or the analytic power invested in the problem solving or, or whatever it is. Yeah. And I think that's why when we spoke about earlier, the type of people that you recruit in, you know, for client side roles, especially when, you know, I've got a relatively kind of smallish team, you know, though each of those roles, you know, you're trying to find quite almost a unicorn in some ways of people that have that skill set. But it is so important, as you said, because otherwise you're not driving change, you're not delivering value. And, you know, ultimately you're going to be looked at as, as a cost instead of somebody that's kind of adding the overall. You're listening to the Transforming Insight podcast published by the Insight Management Academy the world's leading authority on transforming corporate insight teams. So we've spoken uh, about these big picture insight transformation pieces before, and I was grateful when you first joined me at Quirks on stage some years ago when you were working for Marks and Spencer, and then again earlier in 2023 when we talked at, at Quirks when you got your new hat on. Has your view of insight and the role that it can play within an organisation change, do you think, over that period of time? Has has working for a, a startup, a very agile organization that's expanding quickly into all these different markets changed your perception? Or is it more that the so the key principles have remained the same, but the way in which you've had to apply them in the environment's different? I think that previously, if I think about earlier on in my career, I was very probably more focused on senior, you know, senior stakeholders, making sure kind of influencing them. And, you know, that's still a really important part of my job, of course, now to do that. But I think I have a greater appreciation now of to drive sort of real culture change. You have to make sure that you are able to touch every part of the organization. Otherwise, you know, you're not really going to enable customer centric thinking. And by that, I mean, you know, quite often we do lots and lots of research and we speak to lots and lots of teams, but there's some teams that we probably never ever would speak to unless we organize some quite large scale events. So HR teams or, you know, finance teams or, you know, even some of our engineers probably wouldn't get invited traditionally to our debrief. So what I make sure that we do as part of our research plans now is have large scale events that means that everybody can can come and listen to the customer. So last year we ran a really incredibly successful Rue Customer Fest where across two weeks we had a series of activities where people could come and watch primary research. Um, they could come and listen to, you know, one of our agencies talk through a trends piece or we even had some external speakers like ITV and Sport England came in. And the whole purpose of that was to really generate and drive a conversation around the customer. And we also had some drop-in rooms that we created where we, in our London office, where we accosted people as they tried to get to the ca cafeteria and we'd like drag them in and 
you know, talk to them about customer experience and ask them about, you know, their favorite customer experiences and really try and bring to life some of the data. And, and that was a phenomenal success. We had Will Shu coming in saying how great it was. You know, we had actually, it was a bit of a catalyst for helping us drive a lot of work around sort of service and how do we really start to kind of focus on that. And then the other thing is that we've just opened some new space in our office. We've been lucky enough to actually have our first customer lab. So it was one of the first things I talked about when I started about how it just, it would be great for people just to come and listen to customers firsthand, our riders firsthand talk about problems. And, you know, people don't always want to um, come down to a viewing facility. And I do still think that there's huge benefits in being able to do digital and focus groups and digital interviews, but there's nothing quite like sitting there and like physically seeing them do it and having the chance to like ask questions and sat in a room with stakeholders where you're musing about it. So we've actually just opened that and just finished a series of events where we had over kind of 20 different sessions that people across the entire org could come in and watch. And I think that for me is probably the slight pivot in terms of how, how I've changed thinking about insight. And the other thing, just to add, sorry, is I think also less precious as well in that, you know, we don't own the customer and as much as we can democratize data and enable teams to, you know, dive into specific areas themselves. Actually, that's not a threat to insight functions. Actually, it's really helpful in terms of helping make sure that the, you know, customer data we captured is being used as much as possible. And of course, we need to create guardrails about that. But actually a part of our job is also enabling teams to be able to do some of that themselves. So that takes me on to something that's very much of the moment, not being precious guardrails, thinking about data quality or whatever. We can't move or open our inboxes at the moment, can we, without invitations to AI events or webinars that are being organized or every agency under the sun, claiming that they're absolutely with it in using the latest AI-enabled tool that's out there. And I'm sure many of them are, and they're doing, doing great work. But just taking a step back from that, what's your sort of perspective on AI in terms of the mix of opportunities or threats, indeed, that it poses to insight teams? I think it's great. I think it's, it's going to definitely be game-changing. We've really embraced it as a team. I'd say that we're not entirely completely clear on how, how we'll kind of use it as part of everyday kind of processes within different, within different research studies. But I can give a couple of examples of where we've used it and it's been really successful. We had one example. So we have a community that is in the UK and also in France. Now, obviously, well, not obviously, but unfortunately, I don't speak French and none of my team speak French. Um, but what we were able to do was get a discussion room live. And instead of paying for the agency to kind of translate and summarize that discussion room, we were actually able to kind of do that ourselves. Now, we are still validating and checking that to make sure that actually it kind of is, well, obviously that it's robust and telling us the right things. But I definitely think that those kinds of examples in the future, when we can learn to kind of properly trust it, it's going to be really valuable. And we've already been doing that from a UK perspective as well and just helping take some of that, I guess, slightly more admin element of the job. So that what we can be doing is spending our time on the strategic thinking, the implications of the business, thinking about how do we kind of land it in the right way. 
So yes, we've definitely had some really cool kind of different use cases. And I think across all of Deliveroo, as you'd probably expect as a tech company, it's very high on our kind of agenda. And so we've got our own kind of Roo GPT that we're able to use that, that they've created. That means that actually we're slightly more protected because obviously there's a, you know, the big risk of you put things into the ether and what happens to it. Whereas, you know, the, there's the commercially sensitive information and, you know, our competitors going to get onto it. So we've kind of set, set some guardrails around that. But yeah, no, personally, I think it's, I think it's going to be a good thing. I think it's going to be really interesting. We have a knowledge management system so people can kind of go in and, and find information. And at the moment, obviously, they can ask a question and it bubbles up all of the different reports that, you know, are relevant to that. People sift through that and you can certainly see a world of where we're aiming to, of where, you know, you could just say, summarize everything that we know on value and, you know, the five patients for us and that's kind of done for you. I think it should be used as a tool to help analysis as opposed to completely taking over analysis. And it's certainly not going to replace the level of kind of thinking that's required, but it should free us up to actually be able to do more of that thinking and less of that kind of more sort of admin and categorizing various different different cells. I guess to future-proof this interview, I should probably point out at this point that neither Haley nor I are fluent speakers of Mandarin, Dutch, Swedish, Finnish, or Hungarian. So if you're listening to us speaking those languages, then AI has helped to do the translation for us. But no, in seriousness, there's some great examples there. And I couldn't agree with you more in terms of really thinking through parts of, for example, the analysis journey and the elements of that in terms of the framing of the business issue, for example, the contextualization with all sorts of things that have been known in the past where the human element, well, not only is critical, but actually there should be more space for it, that and then the interpretation and application further down the line, if we can get smarter about using AI and other technology to do the parts of the process that they can do more easily for us. And I totally agree with that. Yeah. And I think you also make a really good point there, because one of the other things that we found is that how you ask the question makes a huge difference with AI. So I think what you'll find is people who are almost specialists, exactly as you said, at being able to use AI to extract insight out. Because, you know, if you gave sort of the same problem to two different, to two people, depending on how they ask the question would depend on the quality of what they get out. And actually you need to go through quite a few different probes to actually be able to get really great quality output. So I think that's uh, that's absolutely right. I think the skill set just needs to kind of shift slightly, but there'll definitely still be a role for people. And it comes back to what we do as researchers, right? Asking the right questions in the right ways, making sure that the right materials there. So yeah, I'm pretty sure it's going to be good for good for us as long as we, you know, embrace it in the right way. You're taking me back years now. I, I used to say to people at Barclays when I was thinking about team recruitment. You can try to find unicorns, of course, and there are people who have fabulous skill sets in terms of covering lots of different aspects of, of insight work. But it does still fundamentally seem to come down to the fact that there are some people who are better at asking the right question, and there are some people that are better at going and investigating and finding the, the answer. And my preference was always in what I now appreciate was very luxurious data uh, environment where a lot of work had gone to, onto structuring the data and making it easily accessible. It always seemed to be, for me far more important to find people who knew which the right questions were to to ask, 
And then we would teach the technical skills needed in order to go and get that the data back. At which point, of course, you then need to ask the next best question. Don't you? So it's, a, it's an iterative process. But it, it sort of feels like the AI is bringing a lot of the rest of insight more into that, into a field where that way of approaching it is very relevant. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time today. I always finish these interviews with one question, if I can, and it's the Sunday Times magazine question. So off the back of all the the experience that you've had running insight teams in different organizations of thinking about capability development, of transforming the way in which insight's seen within a company, if you could give your listeners one piece of advice, particularly those who either lead insight teams or aspire to lead insight teams in the future, what do you think it would be? think mine would be really make sure you get to understand the business and that you spend the time working across all of the different functions, that you're really clear on how the business makes money and that you really understand kind of the strategic priorities. Because I think if you don't understand those, then your insight function will never be successful because you're not going to be leaning into things that, that really matter and you're not going to be able to think through actually how can you be proactive at helping and drive value across various different work streams. So that'd be my piece of advice. That's a brilliant note to end on. Thank you so much. And thank you on a personal level for all your support over the years. We, we really value your input to the Insight Forums and all the other best practice work that the IMA does. So thank you very much. Thank you. It's um, always great to be a part of those things. If you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast, please like it, rate it, and subscribe to future episodes on your favourite podcast platform. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us at insight-management.org. And if you'd like to discuss the challenges that you face and the success that you've had in transforming insight in your organisation, why don't you consider joining the IMA and register for a free guest place at an Insight Forum. Thank you for listening. Transforming Insight is available on all leading podcast platforms. Subscribe now to get notified when the next episode is released. Check out all the resources in the show notes and sign up to our email list. The Transforming Inside podcast is brought to you by the Insight Management Academy, who reserves the rights to the content. For more information on any of the ideas discussed in the episode, please visit www.insight-management.org.